In the climate change era, the disasters you hear about most are wildfires. Well, wildfires and hurricanes. Okay, wildfires, hurricanes, and droughts. And flooding. Tornadoes don't get as much love, but maybe they should. I think they're the sexiest of all hazards. Victor Gensini is a meteorologist and professor, but above all, a storm chaser. And in 2018, he published a paper that freaked out a lot of people. Everyone was up in arms and I had like 500 media requests overnight. I'm David Pogue, and this is Unsung Science. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Season 1, Episode 4, Tornado Alley is shifting eastward, and we're not ready. The United States gets 75% of all the world's tornadoes, about 1,300 of them a year. But I've never seen one live, and the odds are pretty good that you haven't either. So when you ask most people to picture a tornado, they picture scenes from tornado movies. If you've never seen a tornado before, your perception of tornadoes was created by Hollywood. And if you look at all the movie covers, Twister included, They all have this elephant trunk, high visible tornado doing damage, people running away from it, right? A very slender elephant trunk style tornado, high contrast, very visible. Meet Victor Gensini. He's a professor of meteorology at Northern Illinois University. In reality, you can see tornadoes that are miles wide. They're hard to distinguish what's cloud-based, what's surface. They're very low contrast. Sometimes they're happening at night. Sometimes they're happening downtown Atlanta, Georgia. (laughs) They're nothing like this beautiful, majestic, just moving through a wheat field, right? Wizard of Oz tornado. It's a twister. It's a twister. Jancini may identify as a college professor, but he only got into teaching because the job would accommodate his first love. The major event that got me into meteorology was uh, when a tornado hit my high school. All right. And I was on a path for engineering and then like put the brakes on real quick the next day and said, nope, nope, nope. I need to find out more about this atmospheric science stuff. And then you start to poke around what careers are out there, right? Forecaster, broadcast, television, meteorologist, so on and so forth. And uh, you know, the professor gig is great because I get to share my love of meteorology with students 
but most importantly, I get to perform whatever kind of research that I think is important to help move our field forward. And by research, what he means is... I storm chase. I, I drive 10 to 20,000 miles every year across the Great Plains looking for these storms. I don't like to see destruction. I, I like to watch storms. I love the landscape. I love the people. Lots of those areas, you know, are... They've been untouched since the Homestead Act in the 1930s. I mean, you drive through towns like Boise City, Oklahoma, that still look like, you know, they're a relic of, of, the, of the Dust Bowl in the 1930s. Are you able to describe verbally what these storms sound like when you're chasing? A lot of people say like a freight train. Like, you know, this huge truck driving through my living room. To me, the best analogy that I can give you is standing in front of a massive waterfall like Niagara Falls and that whooshing sound that you hear, almost the Is it a lot of sitting around? I mean, you can't schedule this. Oh, oh my gosh. People don't understand what storm chasing is. Storm chasing is 99.9% driving in a vehicle. <laughs> you got to be around people that can make conversation, make you laugh. You get along, you tell stories, you listen to music, right? And then that, you know, that tiny 0.1% is what you go for. And sometimes they're, you know, there's, they're great storms, but they don't produce tornadoes. We're just looking for the majestic supercells, the beautiful pictures that you see sort of behind me on the wall, right? I mean, obviously, this is a podcast, so you can't see what he's talking about. I was talking to him on a Zoom call. But anyway, they were blow-ups of stunning supercells, these massive, massive cylindrical cloud formations towering up to the heavens. Those, those are what we care about. Um, when you get to see things like tornadoes, it's just kind of icing on the cake. And, uh, you know, there's always something to photograph, even if it's not a beautiful tornado in a wheat field. There are still things, skyscapes, sunsets, lightning storms, you know, old 56 Chevys laying in the middle of a field, right, that are rusted out. I mean, there's always kind of cool landscapes to take in. And that's, I think, what all of us are in it for the most, is just to be out there with nature. Oh, so you're not tornado chasing. You are just storm chasing. That's the key. I think people don't know the difference, right? I'm really out there just to see thunderstorms. I love photographing and uh, it makes me a better scientist because I get to visually see, right, these storms up close versus trying to model them inside of, com of a computer. It makes me certainly a better forecaster, a better researcher. Now, it was news to me that storm chasers aren't really tornado chasers. I mean, that's definitely not the impression you get from watching Twister, the 1996 movie about storm chasers. Debris, we have yep, that was the tornado movie with the flying livestock. Cow. Another cow. Actually, I think that was the same one. I think scientifically, you know, those movies are generally very inaccurate. I think they, they're good in that they spark interest in STEM fields in general. You know, I, I know a lot of people in atmospheric science that got interested in meteorology from the movie Twister, despite all of its, you know, fallacies and so on. But, I, you know, they're not peer reviewed. They're not science. They're just entertainment. Right. They're just Hollywood. Yeah. I wanted to run a line from Twister by you. 
that is made to sound like pseudoscientific jargon. Sure. So Helen Hunt says, Looks like the dry line is stalled. Give me a sector scan west, northwest. Look at mid-levels for rotation and increase the PRF. (laughs) I love that line. There's some credibility to that. If the dry line has stalled, there's probably strong convergence along the dry line, which means that storms are likely initiating. So when she says west, northwest, that would be a preferred area if you were a storm chaser. And how about increase the PRF? Oh, yeah. Increase the PRF would be the pulse range. You're increasing the amount of the pulses that are being sent out by the radar. I think Jean Debat went to write those scientific writers. If I were a storm chaser, you know, what would I say if I was all excited about storms developing? Wow. What, what do you do when you go storm chasing? I do some scientific measurements, right? I will launch weather balloons. We'll take measurements of the near surface and upper level pressure, temperature, dew point, wind speed, right? All All these variables that meteorologists care about. But we're at a very, very safe distance from the storm. And even when I'm actually chasing, trying to get quote unquote close, I don't get into what's called the bear's cage of the storm or uh, in fact, I think Dusty Seymour Hoffman uh, in that movie, right, talks about it's the bear's cage, right? You could really feel it with the telephoto lens. They're in the bear cage! Take a peek! No, I you don't can want really to. feel it with a telephoto lens! No! Just a side note here. I can't tell you how much I love that Victor Gensini has the dialogue from Twister memorized. Anyway, going on. We're never that close. It's really scientifically uninteresting when you're up in there in the tornado because you can't see anything. There's so much rain and dust swirling. The real beauty, honestly, is, you know, several miles away from the storm, kind of taking in the entire, you know, majestic skyscape that these supercells can produce. It seems like in the climate change era, all we hear about is hurricanes, hurricanes, hurricanes. Do you consider tornadoes underappreciated? I think they're the sexiest of all hazards. I think that the appeal of the tornado is its short lifespan, right? It comes and goes very quickly versus a hurricane. In addition, the damage right after tornadoes is often a little bit more impressive. I've seen tornadoes remove homes from foundation and put them in the neighbor's yard. I've seen a smart car thrown 350 yards, smashed up like a soda can, vehicles flipped over, roofs torn off, right? Houses, well-built homes, completely removed from the foundation. And the only the thing that is remaining are bolts that are being pulled out of the concrete. I mean, so these are, you talk about forces that are required to do that. I mean, hurricanes and tornadoes are both huge rotating masses of air. Yeah, hurricanes right? are, are different in that they're much, much larger than tornadoes. I mean, tornadoes, many of them are a couple hundred yards wide. Okay, they last for maybe on the order of minutes, if you're lucky. Hurricanes are things that last days, sometimes weeks, and they have tropical origin to them. But at the end of the day, they're both doing the same thing. The thunderstorm and tornado itself is an energy transfer mechanism. It's trying to take stored pent up energy, heat and humidity near the surface and transfer it aloft. The hurricane is trying to do the same thing at the end of the day. Extreme weather is just an energy transfer mechanism. And that's that's the idea of climate change, right? Is that these storms are getting more intense because there's more of an energy imbalance where the temperatures are warmer, right? Why is it that the United States leads the world in tornadoes? It's our geography. We have a north-south oriented mountain chain to our west, the Rocky Mountains. 
that's generally where you'll see a hot spot of tornado activity just downwind. So they ha- they do happen other places, but U.S. is very, very unique because we have that north-south oriented mountain chain, but we also have easy access to humidity, right, moisture, and that's the Gulf of Mexico. You know, I've interviewed a lot of scientists over the years, and one thing I've noticed is that the ones who teach are often really good explainers because they've had so much practice. Check out how Victor describes how tornadoes form using analogies to common household appliances. If it's a really, really cold summer day and you open the freezer, what happens to that air as it comes out? Right? It comes out and immediately sinks to the ground. It's very cold and dense. On the other hand, hot air always wants to go up. As Victor explains, You never talk about a cold air balloon. You only talk about a hot air balloon. You get that air hot. It's less dense. It's buoyant. It wants to rise. Okay, so cold air wants to sink down. Hot air wants to rise. But in the middle of the U.S., those layers start out reversed. The cold, dry air is up high, coming off the Rocky Mountains. The warm, wet air is down low, coming off the Gulf of Mexico. So when you have cold air aloft and warm air at the surface, they essentially just want to trade places, right? If you take your index fingers and put them right in front of your nose, create some rotation that looks like it's going forward in front of your nose. If you're doing this right, your fingers are now pointing toward each other, doing a sort of keep rolling motion. Oh, and P.S., if you're listening to this while you're driving, keep your hands on the wheel. Keep that rotation going and then point your fingers towards the ceiling, okay? So what happens is you take that horizontal spin in front of your nose, and as your fingers point towards the ceiling, it becomes spin, but now it's along a vertical axis. And it's that spin along the vertical axis that can create these rot- the mesocyclone, the rotation inside of these parent storms. Okay, how does that log lying down, that column of air that's lying down, rotate 90 degrees so it's pointing up? You got to have a strong updraft to push it up. So imagine again, your fingers push up that updraft. That updraft is pushing up that rotation into the vertical. Okay, so now you know how tornadoes form, why the U.S. is the global leader in tornadoes, and how tornadoes are different from hurricanes. Tornadoes are much smaller, and they come and go in a matter of minutes, and they can do much worse damage. Now we come to Victor's paper. The idea for the study actually just became, again, I mentioned I storm chased. We had a couple years in a row, I think it was like 12, 13, and 14, just really abysmal tornado years. I mean, very good for the people of the Great Plains, <laughs> very bad for me, right? Very bad. You know, I was like, over the last good record that we have, have there been any spatial trends? And so I started just you know, throwing numbers into spreadsheets, looking at various regions, how the trends happened in the regions. And I distinctly remember sitting at my computer and I, you know, hit enter. I was, you know, I was like, wow, like that's fascinating. And I knew right away, I was like, this has to be published immediately. I, I think the next morning I started writing the paper immediately. After the break, I'll tell you what he discovered. Yeah, I know that's super manipulative, making you wait through the ad break. But hey, How much did you pay for this podcast? Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. 
Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And while we're taking an ad break, my new book, How to Prepare for Climate Change covers where to live, how to insure, where to invest, how to talk to your kids, and how to ride out wildfires, hurricanes, heat waves, and so on. As the New York Times put it, it's always a good idea to prepare for a disaster, especially one you see coming. Pogue has got you covered. Now, I can't really come to your house and autograph your copy of the book, but here's a special free bonus offer. If you do buy the book, email me, and I will mail you via postal mail a custom autographed book plate, basically a sticker signed to your name that you can slap into the book. No charge. Just email me, pogue at me.com, P-O-G-U-E at me, M-E dot com. Before the break, I left you tantalized and tormented by the promise that I would reveal the contents of Victor Gensini's discovery about American tornadoes. I think I wrote the paper in maybe three or four days uh, with Harold Brooks and we got it submitted. And actually, funny story, the first place we went to it was the Bulletin of the American Meteorological Society. We were actually rejected there, but it eventually got through the peer review literature in nature, probably a higher impact journal. Anyway. And what the paper said was that Tornado Alley is moving. It's shifting to the east from the wide open, sparsely populated Plains states into the more densely populated states where a lot more people can die. Although, to be fair, Victor hates the wording I just used. All right, so we Americans may have heard of Tornado Alley. What is that? It's a term I don't like. (laughs) (laughs) Really? I don't like it. I don't like it. It's a media misconception, right? If I tell you Tornado Alley, first of all, most people are going to imagine themselves in Kansas or Oklahoma or Texas. The answer is Tornado Alley is everywhere. Tornadoes happen in all 50 states, including in Alaska and Hawaii. Yes, they happen with higher frequency in Texas and Oklahoma and Kansas, Nebraska. You know, it just it leads people to believe that if I'm in Ohio or I'm in North Carolina, I don't have to worry about that. Tornadoes, again, can happen any time of the year as long as those conditions are favorable. And so, you know, I'm kind of getting away from the use of, of alley. Uh, even though there is, you know, certainly an area of the country in the central Great Plains. Well, what should we call it? The greater frequency zone? (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, that's a good question. The tornado high frequency zone. I don't know. I don't have a good name for it. You know, I think I'm okay with the use as long as everything that I just said is also said alongside of the use of Tornado Alley so that we educate people that the alley is not just an alley that has hard bounds. He's also got an issue with the alley part of Tornado Alley. First of all, what do you think of when you think of alley? You think of bowling alley, right? Which means there's a lane. When I was researching this, most of the scientifically based maps that I saw showed, yes, a higher concentration in Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, but it was... It was not, as you say, a strip. It, it was like this giant amoeba. It almost looks like a, a sea. The top of the sea starts in like Illinois, Indiana. It arcs out towards Iowa, Nebraska. It comes down through the central plains of Texas, Oklahoma. And then it actually curves back towards Alabama and Mississippi uh, and even portions of Georgia. So there's, it's like a C shape where Missouri is kind of cut out a little bit. What's interesting, though, David, is if you plot the number of tornadoes, but then plot the number of tornadoes that kill people, there is a huge dichotomy there. Tornadoes happen in the plains, but where are they killing people? Totally different. I mean, we're talking hundreds of miles east from the greatest frequency zone or where people are dying. And this is where your paper comes in, right? Yeah, absolutely. What we've been seeing over the last 40 years is Kansas, Oklahoma, Texas, et cetera, these great plains, the tornado alley, if you will, even though I hate that term, decreasing there, right, with frequency. So over the last 40 years, the number of tornadoes that we've seen there have actually gone down. And where they've been increasing in places like Mississippi, Alabama, Tennessee, portions of the Mid-South, in those areas, there's lots of trees, right? If you have lots of trees, it's very hard to see the incoming storm and incoming tornado. Storms there are more likely to happen at night because of their basically distance away from that north-south oriented mountain chain, right? So when they're happening, right, it's more likely they're moving east into the overnight hours. And the reason we care about nighttime arrivals is the same reason we care about trees. If you can't see the tornadoes coming, you're not as prepared, and you're more likely to die. But wait, it gets better, meaning worse. But probably most importantly is we have a more vulnerable population. You have a lot of people in the South, Mid-South, living in weak frame housing stock and mobile homes. I mean, some counties in the Mid-South, upwards of 80, 90 percent of their infrastructure, you know, that people are living in, residential, is mobile homes. And we know if there's one place you don't want to be during a tornado, it's in a mobile home or in a vehicle. It's just because of this issue, there's more likely to produce casualties. So what you confirmed is that, let me see if I phrase this right, the amorphous, roughly C-shaped amoeba of higher probability traditionally associated with the Plain States is shifting eastward into more populous, more vulnerable states. Almost correct. I love the description, except I would not use the word shift. But, but, but even the word shift, though could just mean a shift in preponderance or a shift in likelihood. Exactly. If you're talking about a shift in the probability space, that's exactly what it is. If you're talking about a geographic location shift, that's where the issue comes in. We don't want to tell people in Oklahoma and Texas, hey, don't worry about it, it's shifting. <laughs> what we really want to highlight is this increasing threat from tornadoes, greater frequency, greater number happening in the Mid-South where we know people are already extremely vulnerable due to socioeconomic issues. 
Okay, so in Tornado Alley, still the most tornadoes, still a lot of tornadoes. Yes. And farther east, an increasing number of tornadoes. Exactly, exactly. And, and why? It's very likely to me that it's a component of the actual input into the atmosphere from humans, so anthropogenic climate change, in addition to some degree of natural variability. It's very consistent with what our climate models show as we get into later this century, where the Great Plains, specifically Texas, Oklahoma, begin to dry out and become basically these big heat domes, hot heat domes, that don't produce a lot of severe weather. And so in October 2018, Victor's paper appeared in the journal Nature. It raised a lot of eyebrows and dropped a lot of jaws. The, the trends study obviously garnered a lot of public attention. You know, a lot of the Associated Press, a lot of the news articles were like, Tornado Alley is shifting. Ah! Right. And everyone was up in arms and I had like 500 media requests overnight, you know, to, I mean, there's lots of, lots of issues <laughs> and caveats as there are with almost any scientific study. So it's, it's my, it, I felt it, uh, as the lead author, I sort of took it upon myself to, you know, I'm going to do as many of these interviews as I can. I want to sort of set the record straight in terms of what we know and what we don't know about things like tornadoes, tornadoes and climate change. Okay. So is real life bearing out what you've said? Uh, are Tennessee and Mississippi, are they seeing more damage, more loss of life? Absolutely. I mean, the, I mean, if you look at the data from 1920 and then the preliminary data so far from 21, uh, very active in the southeastern United States. I mean, uh, after we published that study, for example, the Nashville tornado occurred. I don't know if you remember that event. I do remember it. It was March 2020. Yes, yeah, so we um, heard, heard the wind and um, got the alarms on our phones and we just sprinted out of the building. So we're running down the hallway. The ceiling is just caving in, just breathe everywhere and water is just pouring from the ceiling and like waterfalls into the hallways. The whole back of the roof was caved in. The front of it's caved in. We have no porch, and all the houses down our street are completely gone. If you look in the distance, that is the cone or the V of, dam of, of the tornado as it was actually touched down in Nashville. This is a massive, massive funnel uh, on the ground right there, and you can see just how big that is, which is why we are seeing this type of damage over a wide area. In the end... The Nashville tornado killed 25 people and cost $1.6 billion in damage, the sixth costliest tornado in U.S. history. And it was hundreds of miles east of the traditional tornado alley. So I mean, there's there are a lot, you know, I hate to cherry pick just Nashville, but there are events that, you know, have continued to occur and will continue to occur in the southeastern United States. Victor says that the climate crisis isn't the only reason the death and destruction are getting worse. We also keep building in nature's way. So I think part of the really the, the drive home point is that there is a huge expanding human footprint that these hazards are hitting. We're looking around going, holy shit, the world's on fire. We're having all these disasters. We have wildfires in the news, tornadoes, hail, hurricanes. We just saw a massive heat wave in the West that was well beyond anything we've ever recorded. We're very certain that you know, climate change had some component, some piece to that. But what is this other piece of us just having so many more assets, so many more 
things to hit by these extreme weather events? And how much is that contributing to the overall, you know, picture of economic loss, uh, not only in the U.S., but in the world? Are there any positive trends in the way people are building and living in these increasingly vulnerable areas? I haven't seen anything. In fact, it seems after these disasters occur, we simply go back and build half-assed construction with very, very little oversight. Like, what building codes and structures? Unfortunately, right, those are set at the local level. And so there's no federal mandate, right, of, oh, you live in Oklahoma City, you have to have a tornado or a house that can withstand an EF3 tornado. None of that exists in the United States, right? That costs money. I get it. But it's a long-term investment, okay? Would you rather be paying for the disaster in 25 years or put up the money up front and invest in a more resilient infrastructure, right, that's going to be less prone to these types of events in the future? I mean, we as a species have never been great at anticipating, like, we still smoke, we still don't exercise. I mean, we know, right, we still don't really take climate change seriously. I mean, we should have started 40 years ago. Yes, I have. Yeah, I would not argue with that. You know, it's I think it's when do you get to the point? What is the level of disaster, right, that has to occur in order for us to go? Yep. Okay, we need to do something now versus, you know, oh, we just had another six standard deviation anomaly heat wave in the Pacific Northwest and British Columbia is on fire, literally on fire right now. What do you do? You know, and as usual in the world of climate chaos. People without money get hit first and worst. The people that are going to be most impacted by most of the impacts of climate change, drought, flooding, sea level rise, are going to be areas that are very, very socioeconomically disadvantaged. When as a species do we make that critical call of like, okay, no, we're serious now. <laughs> we weren't before, but we're serious now. And is when that happens, is it too late? So now you know that what's traditionally known as Tornado Alley is shifting. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, growing into the more vulnerable, more populous states to the east. And that tornadoes form super fast. They're not like hurricanes where we can see it coming a week before it hits. Okay, so what are you supposed to do? Well, about an hour before the tornado, your phone or the radio or TV might announce a tornado watch. That's when the conditions are perfect for tornadoes to form, but nobody's seen one yet. A tornado warning means that somebody's actually spotted one. For most people, it's as simple as get to the lowest floor in your home. If you don't have a basement, that's okay. Just get to the lowest floor and put as many walls between you and the tornado as possible. That's it. So if that's an interior closet, great. If that's a bathroom, great. If it's underneath stairs, great. Just get to the lowest floor, that will give you a very, very high likelihood of surviving even a strong tornado if you, if you take that. The other thing that we tell people is that, you know, it's not a bad idea to have a bicycle helmet in there. Most of the casualties we see are blunt force trauma to the head. So what a better move than just putting a bike helmet on, you know, and crouching down into your safe. Wow. Yeah, yeah. In your severe weather safety kit, whether it's water, batteries, you know, a flashlight. Bike helmets are cheap. Pick up a bike helmet and put a bike helmet on. That way, if you have some sort of cushion between you and the flying debris. And Victor has special advice if you live in a mobile home. Well, if you're in a mobile home, don't wait for the warning to be issued. You should be taking action at the watch stage when the conditions are favorable, right? You know, in many times, you're lucky to get 10 or 15 minutes lead time when these events occur. 
you know, and I understand not everybody has the access or the means to just pick up and go somewhere, but there are community shelters in many places. You could perhaps go to a neighbor's house or somebody that has, you know, a sturdier structure, but you don't want to be in a mobile home during a tornado and you don't want to be in a vehicle. And those are two areas you got to sort of figure it out. So you, you have completed your storm chasing season for 2021, right? Yes. We're kind of all getting back. We're getting unpacked, finally starting to sort through our pictures. And then by about Christmas, something sets in called SDS or supercell deprivation syndrome, (laughs) 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 where we start planning our trip right for next year. So our pilgrimage again, you know, begins. You know what? I'm starting to get the impression that Victor Gensini really loves his tornadoes. It's like this giant orchestra, right? That's playing and every instrument has a role and you got to figure out what's the moisture doing? What's this doing? What's the shear? I mean, there's so many moving parts that, you know, just understanding the percussion is not enough, right? You got to understand the ensemble and that's what makes this problem so challenging. Well, if it were up to me, I would suggest that you look at mid-levels for rotation and increase the PRF. (laughs) I love it. Unsung Science with David Pogue is presented by Simon & Schuster and CBS News and produced by PRX Productions. The executive producers for Simon & Schuster are Richard Rohrer and Chris Lynch. The PRX production team is Jocelyn Gonzalez, Morgan Flannery, Claire Carlander, Pedro Rafael Rosado, and the project manager is Ian Fox. The amazing Jesse Nelson composed the Unsung Science theme music, and fact checker Christina Ribello positioned herself nobly between my scripts and certain humiliation. For more Unsung Science episodes, visit unsungscience.com. And for more of my stuff, visit davidpogue.com or follow me on Twitter at Pogue, P-O-G-U-E. We'd love it if you'd like and subscribe to Unsung Science wherever you get your podcasts. And spread the word, would you? Thanks for listening. If you like Unsung Science, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at Wondery.com slash survey. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary and it's not boring. It is a show that's all about you. It's your questions that make it possible for me to provide unconventional and entertaining insights on your money and maybe more importantly, on your life. I'm going to be your financial coach, someone who brings common sense and an insider's perspective on how to manage your money and your emotions. And I promise we are going to have a little bit of fun along the way. Have a question from retirement to career changes to college funding? Just send us an email at askjill at jillonmoney.com. Follow Money Watch wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen ad-free on the Amazon Music or Wondery app. 
The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings early and ad-free starting May 1st with a 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts.